Hey, thank you for returning for another episode of Ross Never Sleeps on Never Sleeps Network. I'm your host, Alex Ross. With the recent burlesque boom in Toronto, I've been searching for a strong representative of the burlesque community to come and chat about its growing popularity. I'm very glad to have found Zyra Lee Vanity, the perfect spokesperson for Toronto's incredibly vast burlesque scene, and someone who gives us a much-needed introduction and history of the culture. The world of burlesque in Toronto has really taken the city by storm, a very sexy and evolving storm filled with important messages for the artist community and their fans in Toronto, Canada, and beyond. We discussed the recent news in Hamilton, where a bylaw officer charged two performers with essentially performing quote-unquote lewd acts in a bar, an adult establishment, which has shaken the Canadian burlesque industry. This episode is for anyone who has ever wanted to learn about the incredibly fun movement happening right under your nose in Toronto. Zyra is a wealth of knowledge. Check her out at ZyraLeeVanity.com and listen to her here on another episode of Ross Never Sleeps on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. So welcome Zyra Lee Vanity, which is an amazing burlesque name. Thank you. Do I get to ask you what your real name is? No, that's a secret. That's a secret. So what's, <laughs> I need to know what makes a good burlesque performance name. Well, funny story. I actually picked my name from a video game. Not sure if you've heard of League of Legends. Sure. I mean, that's a classic. Yeah, online game. Online that's where game. I got my name. What makes a good burlesque name depends. A lot of people go for real... Um, really realistic sounding names. Others go for names that have like puns or alliterations, but something that's catchy, memorable, clever. I want to come up with my own performance name for my burlesque debut. Not ever going to happen. <laughs> it's a hypothetical one. But how do I, you know, what's like a trick? How do I, I mean, obviously you can go the art of the pun or something a little bit scandalous, but you know, what are some of your favorite burlesque performer names? There is somebody in Seattle named Isle Lickia. All right. Which I think is hilarious. There's Brown Cocaine Love, which I also really like. Who are some of the sexiest burlesque performers you've ever seen? The sexiest? Let's go with sexiest first. Ah, geez Louise. Super sexy, but like able to add comedy to her sex appeal. Uh, Dirty Martini, Lulu Deville, uh, Coco Framboise. Uh, Betsy Swoon. There are so many performers who just ooze sex appeal. <laughs> and what are the different styles of performances? We're going to get to your styles, but I need to know what are the basics? We're, we're going to have to go through a, basically a burlesque 101. Yeah. Well, I mean, burlesque itself is a very niche market. It's a very niche art form that's, you know, it's based upon theater, on comedy, on the strip tease, or just tease alone, on dance. But there's so many different types of burlesque within our burlesque world, I should say. Uh, there's nerdlesque, which is basically poking fun at like popular culture and like, you know, video games, movies, comics. I need to see that burlesque. There's a lot of nerdlesque in this city as well. Nerdlesque. Yes. Love it. There is a troupe, uh, Nerd Girl Burlesque. They produce a show monthly. So lots of nerdlesque. But there's also like gorelesque, where they like are influenced upon horror culture on like, you know, these villains and really dark themes. It sounds almost operatic. Like yeah. there's like a storyline. 
Yeah. Um, what else is there? There's a classic burlesque, very classic, bump and grind, uh, glove, ballroom, corset, jazz music. So I hear these things. I, I, I can pick out glove, corset. You know, I, I get it. You know what I mean? I can only imagine from, you know, just pop culture representing burlesque uh glove obviously has to do with those arm length gloves and and corset again something to do with your costume um what are some of the more you know over the top costumes you've seen who are some of the more you know must see acts maybe in toronto or maybe in north america uh when it comes to costuming there's this one performer in um new york city named amber ray and she's always in these beautiful corsets that just take her in so nicely they're they really shape her well with just the most beautiful embellishments on them, the most gorgeous headdresses and gloves and gowns. Um, of course, there's Dita Von Teese. I mean, her costuming is absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. Um, within the Toronto scene, um, I'm thinking Dee Dee Star, really great costume, really good at working with different colors as well that also flatter her. Are these homemade? It depends. Costumes? Some are homemade. Like when I think of like the nerd scene, for example, the nerds have some amazing costumes because ultimately it's cosplay that you can strip out of really easily. <laughs> but some is homemade. And then there's also people in the city who make costumes as well. So how much does a costume go for if someone's just getting into the industry or, you know, going to go to school for the first time and they realize they want to do costume based burlesque? Who? I mean, to get a really good costume, if you want like a classic costume, starting with a corset. It's going to be at minimum 300 bucks for the corset alone. Then to get, you know, gown, gloves, bustle, I mean, you're looking at at least, I'm going to say, 750 What is a closet like in the life <laughs> of a burlesque performer? Lots of rhinestone, glitter, <laughs> feathers. I see you're sparkling already. Like really? you're, just, you're looking right across from me. And, and sparkles are almost my, like, kryptonite. <laughs> I forever have sparkles on me. Forever. Your closet's going to be really shiny. Right. Lots of rhinestones. Amazing. Majority of my closet, I use my closet just for my costumes because they're so big. And then I use like my actual clothing going to like dressers, but it's going to be filled with shiny. It's all just sparkly, shiny. When I hear this description, it makes me feel like when you combine the costume, the alter ego... You are basically a superhero. You, you are these superheroines and superheroes, and, and how I see it, of liberation. You're a superhero of liberation, Zyra Lee. Well, you know, does that make sense? Like, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense to me, you know, how cosplay burlesque is a thing. You know, that just, it, they, they obviously play into each other so well. Do you see that? Is this like a form of you to kind of be the, the superwoman when you go onto stage? Do you feel that kind of superhero-ness? Well, I think with a lot of um, women or people in general who do burlesque, it is a form of like sexual expression and being able to um, express your sexual agency on stage. Um, oftentimes you can do things on stage that perhaps you can't do in your everyday life. You know, it's about embracing femininity from a lot of us, but also like your sexuality, however that may be. Um, I've seen some really cool like kink theme numbers or some really like awesome like super raunch or like just super like self-playful numbers as well. So I think a lot of it, yeah, you do, a lot of it is sexual liberation in a sense. I need to know what your origins are in the industry, but I I need to know what you describe as the origins of burlesque to be. Uh, So burlesque was actually brought over to North America from Europe and started more so with um, parody 
That's how burlesque started. Um, eventually, the striptease was added to it. But it was basically these traveling shows that came to North America. And between each comedy set or between each show set, they'd have a girl on stage either parodying something or she'd walk back and forth and do like a little striptease number. And that's eventually kind of how it developed into what it is today. And what are your origins? How did you find the craft and, and you know, develop your art form? Um, I got into burlesque through a course in university, actually, on um, sexual representations in popular culture. And I was assigned burlesque, um, striptease, as my research project. And I watched this documentary called A Modesty Blaze Burlesque Undressed. And that was kind of it for me. I saw this documentary and I was like, I absolutely love that and I want to do that. So I Googled um, burlesque in Toronto and I found some different producers and that's basically how I got involved. I started off kittening, which is when you pick up the clothes for performers. Then I got into doing some prop work and stage handling and eventually I took some classes and started performing. Kittening. Kittening, yes. That's a thing. I've seen, I've been to a a few. I mean, if you are a Toronto, you know, supporter of the arts, burlesque is definitely a cool change of pace and it's widely available in in the city. And I, and I never knew the term of the performer who actually goes up and picks it because I mean, if you've ever seen a burlesque show, there's a lot to pick up off the floor yeah. after a good performance. So a kitten is someone who is crawling on hands and knees like a pet. You don't have to crawl on hands and knees. Okay. Some do. Some more so walk around with like a basket and a cute costume or sure. a cute bra and panty set. And you're basically, you're picking up all the clothes. Sometimes you're helping with um, props set up as well. But the person who does that is called the kitten. And how long are you, you know, like in, in training for? To be a kitten? Or to be, you know, what's the progression? For a burlesque? Well, for a kitten, I was kind of just like, I showed up to a show, and about 10 minutes before the show started, they were like, this is what you're going to do, and they threw me on stage. Amazing. So I had no kittening training. Um, as for burlesque, it's ongoing with me. I still continue to take classes. I've been taking classes for like three years now. Um, there's always something I can improve on, whether it's acting or dance or costuming. There's so many different classes that happen within Toronto. So what the training is like for burlesque, it's ongoing, never stopping. Just like any art form. Just like any art form, exactly. And where are you studying? Uh, a couple different places. So there's like the Coco Framboise School of Burlesque. Uh, there's a Toronto School of Burlesque. There's also a lot of different classes, like just like sewing classes around the city so I can work on my own costuming. Different dance classes that happen around the city, just dropping courses here and there. It's not just burlesque classes, but anything I feel can help me with my art form. For someone just starting, looking into schools, looking for some sort of performance art, um, you know, are they going to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars? Is it pretty nominal fees? No, I'd say, you know, if it's your first... If it's your first burlesque routine, you know, you really want to try it out, maybe take one or two drop-in classes. Drop-in classes range from $20 to $60, I think. But you can take a drop-in class. You can even learn on YouTube. I learned a lot of stuff from YouTube. Who doesn't? (laughs) I watch, like, burlesque, how-to on YouTube. That's an option as well. When it comes to costuming, for someone who's just going on stage for the first time, it doesn't have to be super glamorous or amazing. Get, like, a cute, you know, bra panty guard about set or like a nice gown that you might already own from who knows prom or something but yeah anything that you feel you have that looks nice that's presentable on stage you don't have to spend all this money when you're just starting out do you have any memorable stories from when you were first hitting the stage 
I've had some embarrassing stories. Oh, that's like, exactly what we want to hear. <laughs> I did like this one routine with whipped cream. And as burlesque newbie, I didn't know to bring a tarp <laughs> oh. or to tell the producers I was using whipped cream. Okay. I ended up slipping and falling on the whipped cream oh, I boy. used myself. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that was like my third or fourth time on stage. Never again. No more food. No, I still use food. Oh, really? But smarter now. Well, then what how have you learned? What are you using now? I don't, um, I don't like whip the whipped cream around the stage <laughs> You know, I keep it concentrated on like a certain area of my body or on a certain costume piece. I make sure it's not all over the place. Was Zyra Lee your first go-to name? No, no. getting a big head shake. No, um, I are got, we allowed to hear the the, the previous you can hear names? The previous okay. names. So the very first name I used for about three months was Ticey Alamuse. Ticey was like my childhood nickname growing up. Alamuse to tease. Um, and then I realized that people were having a hard time remembering that. So I switched it to cute one, tiny behindy. Oh, very nice. <laughs> I liked it, but I felt like it was very hard for me to get corporate gigs with a funny name like that or a cute name like that. Um, I feel like for more corporate gigs, they expect a more real sounding name or they'll ask you to use a different name. Um, so I ended up changing it to the name I have now, which is Zyra Lee Vanity. So you're from Toronto? Yep, I'm from Toronto. So what are some of the go-to clubs or bars that are featuring some of the best burlesque in the city? There's so many different things that are going on in the city. Uh, where do I start? So if you want, like, weekly burlesque strip teasers, there's bars like Candyland in Toronto. Um, Candyland... I'm not sure where it's located. I think I want to say it's on King Ballet on Ossington that have burlesque happening weekly. Um, there's also Kitty Nights Toronto at Revival that happens every month. There is Thigh High Cabaret that happens every month at the Underground, the Rivoli Mod Club, Monarch Round. There are so many venues in Toronto that offer burlesque shows. That's great to hear that Toronto's become so accepting. Cherry Colas. Oh, big one. Yeah. That, that, yeah. With the go-go cages. Ah. Uh, Didn't they have go-go girls at there at one point? They have go-go girls, but they don't have cages. They don't have cages. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Bovine has a weekly as well. So there's a lot that's going on in Toronto. Again, it, it's amazing to see how much a city like Toronto appreciates the art form, especially when we are seeing in the news recently, Hamilton by law enforcers. And I read the news story, I think it came out yesterday, uh, but basically two burlesque dancers, Bianca Boom Boom, aka Ashley Kiefer, and Svetlana Consuelo, aka Kayla Kunkel, were charged in August under the Hamilton City Licensing Bylaw. What's your take on this case? They were basically charged for something they do week in and week out in the city, that they are basically neighbors to Hamilton. <laughs> the whole case boggles my mind. Burlesque shows happen in Hamilton all the time. I don't know when the last time something like this happened, but I'm just, you know, it was shocking. It was shocking for a lot of us to hear because, yeah, these bylaws exist, but they're also super vague. I feel like, the officer, the person who chose to um, ticket these two performers. I don't know what the deal was, to be honest. I just find it, it's shocking because, like I said, burlesque happens a lot in Hamilton. And my experience of a good 
burlesque show is a good tease show. You're never seeing nudity flat out. You know, I, I'm assuming that they're trying to enforce a law about adult, quote unquote, adult behavior. Well, I mean, I think this law was targeted towards those who work within uh, the strip club entertainment industry, which although burlesque can sometimes and most of the time includes elements of stripping and the strip tease, um, there is a lot more to it than just that alone. Unfortunately, with these anti-stripping and ultimately anti-sex work laws, a lot of people who follow suit or who are, I want to say within these gray areas, within these art forms or these other types of labor that are very similar, can end up being targeted under the exact same laws as well and discriminated against. So with burlesque, I mean, you do keep on your G-string and your pasties for the most part. But like I have seen burlesque where it's not there and it's still burlesque. So it just, it depends. What are the long-lasting effects of this kind of discrimination? You know, we're clearly dealing with a bylaw officer who's either a super board. Maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe it's a religious thing. I, I don't know. I, I'm not pointing fingers at anything specific. It just doesn't make sense to me that we are in 2016. It's very clear when something is artistic, Paid by patrons who are going to, you know, a venue where a they curated know. Show. Yeah, absolutely. A curated show. It's a, it's an art. What better way to put it than a curated show? I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand why we're trying to repress. And, and listen, I get it. Burlesque is dominated, dominated by women, but there are male performers. Yeah. It, it's a unisexual art form. I can't imagine what it does to women who are trying to act liberated, who are proving that women can be liberated. And yet we're still, you know, showing some old school bylaw in Hamilton being like, uh oh, guys, no, the the old sensibility still rules. There's still this overhanging, you know, judgment and stigma when Hamilton should be so lucky to have amazing live entertainment on a regular basis. I don't understand how this bylaw enforcer thinks that what they are doing is benefiting either their city, uh, you know, the culture. It just, again, like you said, boggles my mind. But do you think that there's a lot more of this oppression that is just not as, you know, shown in the news as often? So... From my understanding, I'm not 100% certain, to be honest, but I think a lot of these bylaws, the more specifically licensing bylaws, were put in place for safety reasons, for um, age regulations, for health regulations. So when it comes to adult entertainment and like the overall broader sex work industry, you have licensing and you have um, certain laws in place for safety and regulation. However, the issue here is that whoever this officer was doesn't seem to understand the difference between burlesque and an adult entertainer from a strip club. And although there's a lot of similarities, there's also a lot of differences as well. So I think the issue right now is being able to differentiate the two and explain why burlesque should be able to be allowed in certain venues without this kind of licensing needing to be involved. Um, involved. Now, do you think it's as simple as saying, you know, these events happen, you know, in the evening hours when, when nightfall or, you know, you get carded like you would for a bar to go see maybe not something specifically adult, quote-unquote, but risque, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, I remember when I was a kid, I couldn't go see R-rated movies, you know? I needed either parent supervision, written supervision, something like that. An ID, yeah. Yeah, an ID, right? I mean, this is a movie we're talking about where there's far more nudity in an R-rated movie than I'm seeing at any burlesque show. To be quite frank, if you're in a bar... 
Like, you should be 19 plus after certain hours. I think that's the law anyway. So it's not like there's children or young families within this bar watching this burlesque show. So are some are Bianca uh, Boom Boom and, and Svetlana Consuelo, have you have you performed with these two? Yes, I have. Oh, you have. Yeah, lovely people. <laughs> oh, that's, um, that's wonderful. And it's such a shame because everybody that I've met in the industry is very welcoming. Uh, I, I mean, it's obviously a tough industry. There's a lot of stigma. There's a, there's a lot of people taking advantage of the art form. And, and it, it's as like any other art, I'm sure it's hard to make a living. So... Good for them. Not only are they good people, but they're like, I don't know, protesters. They're figureheads now. They're fighting this. They're not going to let it slide. They're not going to just cave in and pay some fines when they shouldn't have to. How does that make you feel? I feel proud of them for doing that. I don't want to say that's what they should be doing because it's up to each person to make their own choices. But I'm proud of them for doing that. Now, I know it's simple to say this pylon enforcer evil you know burlesque dancer good uh, you know what i mean like in the sense that it's just easy to make this story very black and white and that's what i was saying before is that i feel like perhaps this bylaw officer does not understand the difference between an adult entertainer and a strip club versus a burlesque dancer because the reason for a bylaw is to regulate certain things for health safety etc those reasons but I feel like whoever this officer was did not understand that what was happening here was not just like your Friday night at a strip club. It was a burlesque show. It serves a different purpose. These are performers who, you know, they work under different circumstances or for perhaps different reasons. Now, in the grand scheme of things, is this a good news story for the industry? You know, or even if it's a bad news story, is it still under the understanding that all press is good press? <sighs> hmm. I mean, a part of me is like, yay, people are talking about burlesque. That's a great thing because now we can have these discussions. At the same time, I feel like the burlesque community has been working to build a lot of bridges with um, broader like sex working communities. And I feel like once again, when we have these articles, for example, the article... I think the the title was basically like, this is not stripping, which doesn't do anything for the communities or the bridges that we've been trying to build. So I feel like we have this issue once again where we're having these debates and we're doing them in very alienating ways. Yes, it's great we're talking about burlesque, but we also have to be mindful on how we talk about it and on how... And what this does for our allyships, so... And what does it do for your allyships? Uh, Well, the great thing is that we can start talking about bylaws, discrimination anti-sex work laws in general so we are way behind in the times we are way behind so the good thing is that it can it brings brings all these other conversations um how we treat female sexuality um just like our modern day feminism so i feel like all these conversations are starting to happen again because of this recent incident and that's a good thing so thank you very much that's that's honestly the best answers i could have got for this topical news story i have some questions about the typical burlesque audience Mm -hmm. because we're talking about this in a light where the difference between art and say adult entertainment is kind of in the eye of the well keep in mind that art can be adult entertainment exactly that's what what i'm getting at my my overall point is it's in the eye of the beholder but if that person considers them one in the same you know is that positive for the industry do we want them to be considered one in the same or do we want to separate um something as extreme as something like adult entertainment and separate that from burlesque to me that sounds like 
segregation. It does sound like, you know, any good form of art can be called whatever it wants to be and connected to any other industry it wants to be. Or we don't mm-hmm. get fusion. We don't get expansion. We don't get evolution. Exactly. At the end of the day, like a lot of burlesque is done within strip clubs. There's a lot of feature performers who go to strip clubs as like, you know, the main attraction for the night. I do think burlesque is a part of the... <sighs> it's tough. I, it's I know. Tough. It's, it's yeah. a fine line I, sometimes. Just, I feel like burlesque can be, not always, but can be a part of adult entertainment. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. Um, it's, I almost welcome it more yeah. that way when we're not I mean, brushing well, wide strokes of, of trying to describe what things are and are not. Right, yeah, when I'm performing, I certainly don't want to see children in the audience. <laughs> I wouldn't feel comfortable doing a strip tease with like little kids in the audience. So it is adult entertainment. It's adult entertainment and art. It's both at the exact same time. So, Well, if you think about <laughs> the art of stripping in general and if you ever go to the Netherlands or if you ever go to Amsterdam, you know, live sex shows you know, to some eyes, you know, some audience members, yes, they take it too far and, and they don't see it as an art form. But people go and come from all around the world to experience a performance that they would never get in their own country because you know, maybe they're less progressive or you know, there isn't an ability to express yourself there like you can in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been? I haven't been to Amsterdam. Where in Europe have you been? I haven't been to Europe yet. Where, where was like another country that, that really opened your eyes to um, burlesque? It could have been here. It could have been, you know, the States. Ooh, hmm. I mean, I've been to the States many times. You've been um, to Vegas many times. Vegas Vegas, many Vegas times. is pretty much like Europe in itself. And you know A whole what? bunch of different countries are Some in Vegas. Some of the Vegas. most amazing burlesque I've seen in Vegas was at a strip club, actually. Which one? Uh, Sapphire. Okay. In Vegas, and they have feature dancers, burlesque dancers come in all the time. I think that was like one of my first experiences with burlesque. And it was mind-blowing because they just, you know, they were, what I love, I just, I can't remember the performer's name, but she came out in like a corset and like all this amazing jewelry, hair, she was just super like feminine, but also just really like just gorgeous, glamorous, that's what I'm looking for. She was glamorous and she does like her basic striptease, the glove, the gown, Etc. Etc. And then when she's down to like her pasties and g string, she does all these amazing pole tricks. So she kind of blurred the line between like what is stripping in a club versus what a burlesque. And it was just it was amazing. It's just it started off super like classy, and I put that in air quotes. And then it got raunchy, and then she started doing all these pole tricks, which I wish I could do because they were amazing. You need to be strong. <laughs> yeah. I was like, she's like standing upside down and doing all these amazing things. It's acrobatics. You know, yeah, you, it was, it's layers and layers of art forms. It was, yeah, it was amazing. Like that alone is its own art. So, but I found that inspiring, just being able to blend like two different, I guess, cultures of adult entertainment, but also just, just what she was doing. It was just, it was it was done with pride and it was fierce and it was beautiful. So any artist who kind of mixes genres or is abil- has this ability to kind of layer their art forms is always kind of seen as this experimental genius or there's some yeah. sort of if they do it eloquently and they do it properly and successfully. And I think that's what makes anybody good at their art form interesting I, I, to go see. I mean, I bet there's, you know, hundreds of burlesque dancers in Toronto alone. You know, what's going to distinguish you between everybody else and i mean i feel like with a lot of like specifically neo burlesque and even within the nerd burlesque scene as well there is you know it's about being clever i feel like when i see something that's like super clever super unexpected super different 
I think that's what really distinguishes a performer in my eyes. So. And who are the typical audience members? Are, are they dominantly male? Uh, are they LGBTQ? Are they mostly other performers? What can you expect to see at the various like weekly shows? It depends on um, where I'm performing. For example, if I'm performing at like your typical weekly show, I find it's a lot of specifically women. I want to say like 25 plus also, you know, a lot of the queer community as well. Um, the shows that I do more frequently, which is uh, La Femme Fatale shows, I'm a part of a troupe of predominantly women of color who do burlesque um, cool. four times a year, four big shows a year. That's huge. And like our audience is mainly like queer POC. At the same time, if I'm performing at like a nightclub, it's like younger folks, mixed gender. So it just depends. What's the high you feel when you get off from a perfect performance? I even know how to, I don't know how to describe that feeling, but it's a great feeling. It's like not only did I get on stage and I felt good, but I know the audience felt great watching as well, and it's it's a good feeling. It's just you know that it's a job well done. I succeeded. It's that feeling. I can't. I don't have the words to describe it. Can you make a living doing this? Say in Toronto, where the scene is quite apparent. Yeah, but it's very hard. There are performers who do work full time as burlesque performers. But for the most part, most people who say they do burlesque full time are also probably teaching burlesque as well um, or doing like costuming commission work as well. So, I mean, yeah, you can, but it's very hard. It's very rare. Who do you look up to in the Toronto burlesque scene? Coco Framboise. She's like my burlesque mother. She's been doing burlesque for 13 years. Um, I've done classes with her, workshops with her. And there's just, there's so much about her style of burlesque and what she does and how she does it that I absolutely love so much. Um, she's able to blend glamour and politics. She's also just super talented. So that's like, that's one person who I look up to a lot. But yeah. Are you recommending to kind of start this as a hobby first and then see the opportunities you can get becoming yeah. a performer? I want to say start as a hobby, but get paid. Get paid. <laughs> but get paid. That's the name of this episode. <laughs> get paid. Um, but yeah, see if you like it first, because a lot of people who like, you know, they invest like hundreds of dollars into the first costume, and they book like a giant gig, and then when they walk off the stage, they realize, I actually didn't like doing that. Hmm. Not even after that first gig. Some people take like three, four months, or even a year, two years to realize, I actually don't really like this that much, so... Yeah, I'd say start off as a hobby, see how you feel about it, get your feet wet, and then, you know, start looking for more opportunity within it. So to learn something like choreography, which can seem quite daunting, you know, you're saying your resources are YouTube, classes. Are there kind of any free workshops where, you know, there's meetup groups maybe between performers? Um, There's no, like, official free workshops that I know of, but there is a lot of, like, peer review stuff that goes on where, like, a lot of us burlesque girls will get together and we'll all bring, like, a costume and an act and we'll each, like, freely review it for each other. Besides from that, I can't think of any other, like, free classes that happen. What's the male version of burlesque called? It's still called burlesque, <laughs> um, but some people also call it boylesque. Boylesque. Boy I was waiting for that pun. Yeah, boylesque. So that's also a thing. Great. And what's that like? I mean, obviously, burlesque's origins, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit more pop culture kind of informed. So when I think, um, when you talk about Europe and when you talk about burlesque, you know what? I instantly go to Moulin Rouge. Yeah, the can-can. You know, the classic fluffy dresses, poofy dresses, and, and you know, the sense of perfect makeup, 
perfect clothing, just this perfect kind of the, artist the, specimen. The dream person, the the allure, the glamour, yeah. So now we're in 2016. LGBTQ market, you know, is is thriving. People are are becoming liberated, not just as women, but as people. And now men have an opportunity to shine in this field. You know, what are some of the male burlesque performers that you can recommend that are in the Toronto? What what is a male burlesque or boylesque, you know, version of burlesque, you know, like? I mean, the boy last performers are doing all the things that the female burlesque performers are doing. They're doing classic. They're doing neo. They're doing nerdy stuff. They're doing gore stuff. Is it helping bring out the audience? Absolutely. Yes. We get more queer men coming out, which is great. More like younger females coming out as well to watch the boy last performers. So, yeah, it's also inspiring more men just to be more free with their sexuality as well as like their masculinity as well. So that's great. Uh, some boy last performers in Toronto I could recommend. Uh, there's James and the Giant Pasty. <laughs> Great name, right? That's amazing. another amazing name. Um, absolutely amazing. Really clever performer. The Gentleman's Club, which is like a boy-less troupe. And like their thing is like they start off in like suits and then they get like more raunchy. So it's pretty cool as well. So you've publicly spoken on topics relating to, you know, sexual arts and performance, body positivity, yeah. race, queerness and sexuality positivity. What really grinds your gears when someone's like, oh, you're a burlesque dancer, dot, dot, dot. Or they say something. What is the main thing that people have the wrong impression about burlesque when they approach you or when you're in conversation? What grinds my gears? Ooh, there's so many different things. Oh, we have time. <laughs> there's so many different things. You know, there's the, oh, you're a burlesque dancer? Why? You're too smart for that. Wow. Yeah, I get, as I can, like, I can be smart and take off my clothes. You are very smart, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> but it's like, I could be smart and take off my clothes. I don't understand why people often think that because you are a sexual woman or a woman who engages in any form of, like, sexual activity, all of a sudden you're not intelligent. Like, it's not two things on opposite ends of a binary, like it overlaps. You can be smart and take off your clothes at the same time. But that's one thing I get a lot. What else is there? Oh, that's not really art, where it's like I spend so much time crafting choreo and themes and a costume and making sure that everything has like, you know, like just very clever concepts. And it's like, actually, this is art. Like it's creative work. I'm, I'm creating art. So that's another thing that gets to me. Oh, well, thank God you're not a stripper. That's something that people say all the time. And I'm like, well, actually, you know what? I may not be a stripper in a strip club, but I still have respect for that person's job. And you don't have to compliment me in a way that bashes another person. So that's that's a huge pet peeve of mine. Um, and I'm still taking off my clothes. Like, I'm still stripping. So. <laughs> and these people, I feel like they're just sitting on the sidelines pointing fingers. Yeah. They never go out of their own comfort zone to understand what it's like to A, be an artist, no matter what your art form is. Yeah. And they're basically, you know, coaching from the sidelines. They're coaching from their couch. You know what I mean? Like, they like always have something to say. Yeah. Like, you don't, until you do it, you don't understand. Oh, my biggest pet peeve is, well, that's not really a job. Or you only do it like three times a week. So it's not like a job. But Actually, it is. Like, it's something I get paid to do. It's something that I show up, I deliver a service, I get paid. Get paid. Um, exactly. Nobody says to, like, a part-time, I don't know, restaurant waitress, you only work part-time, so it's not really a job. Like, it's still a job. You're getting paid, you're doing a job, you're doing a service. So just because you're not doing it full-time, perhaps, doesn't mean it's not a job. And that's, like, one of my huge pet peeves. 
You've performed all over North America. Yeah. <laughs> Boston, New York, Las Vegas, Montreal. These are major cities. How does Toronto line up with some of these major American, even Canadian cities? I mean, Montreal is practically the Canadian Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, where does Toronto sit in this long list of major cities that clearly, you know, when I think of Las Vegas, you know, that's art form to the 10th degree. Ah, uh, it's weird because the Toronto burlesque scene, compared to some cities, it's so big. But then compared to other cities, it's so small. Interesting. For example, when I think of the Toronto burlesque scene compared to Tucson, Arizona, I performed there. The Toronto scene is huge compared to that. We have hundreds of performers there, at least 300 in Toronto. And we have like events that happen every single week. However... Compared to another city, say New York, the Toronto scene is tiny. New York has like over a dozen weeklies that happen. You can find burlesque any night of the week in New York. Where in Toronto, I feel like it's very much Mondays here and there, Sundays here and there, mainly Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays. So it just depends. Like I feel like Toronto's somewhere in the middle. Like we have a large burlesque scene. But when I think of a lot of the American cities, we're nowhere near as large as them. So and when you think of Toronto in general, we're a weekend. Yeah, we're we, city. Yeah, we're not. I mean, we're not the city that never sleeps. No, <laughs> even though you're on the Never Sleeps Network, <laughs> but that's my mentality. I think you know yeah. the best things happen at night. You know, the best kind of shows, the best kind of entertainment. It's it's sad and it's a good thing. It's a nice that Toronto can be quiet sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's nice to also have the ability to go out on a Monday or Tuesday night in some exactly. major cities. Yeah, and that's the thing is, I think like yeah, Toronto. It's you know, it's it's a weekend city, but we also have a lot of stu- um, universities, colleges, a lot of students who are looking for things to do on Monday nights, on Tuesday nights, on Wednesday nights. And I do think that we have the market to perhaps try and open up burlesque shows for those nights. So, What shows do you like to be performing at that aren't necessarily a burlesque show? So, you know, what other art forms that incorporate burlesque, whether it's a live concert, like, again, Cherry Colas, Bovine, these are great venues where I'm assuming shows are going to happen and burlesque is just that added extra art on it. You know, what are some of the best events you've ever performed at? Some of my favorite events. I performed at, like, a local hip-hop artist had, like, an album release party. So cool. And it was it was great because I got to talk to people from, like, like the local hip-hop pop indie rapper community um i performed at that event and i thought that was amazing um i performed at some drag shows which is great because i love drag kings and drag queens um who doesn't yeah comedy shows as well comedy shows and burlesque seem to be overlapping a lot more these days at the underground yeah at the underground yeah 670 queen street east yeah um social capital theater i think is the other one okay um but a lot of comedy shows will hire burlesque dancers what else have i done um, a lot of like queer art shows as well. I performed at like, like um, art show launches and things like that. It's anything. It's yeah, well, yeah. It's, you, it's so broad now. It sounds like anything that has a live event or some sort of spectacle. Why wouldn't you want some sort of burlesque performance, burlesque performance there yeah. on top of whatever it is? Just you know what I like about burlesque. What's different from, from say um, a musical live performance where that you know there's loud music, so the energy is kind of pumped through you. You know, burlesque is that you know you really need to use either your imagination or a really good performance just gives you that sense of energy. So it's really amazing to see them layered. 
But at the same time, you know, when you separate the two, there's really good, energetic, you know, driven performances and there's just performances. So yeah. I, 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 it's we're very fortunate in Toronto that we have a lot of opportunity. And, I, and it sounds like there's lots more opportunity developing. It sounds like every week there's more shows, there's more performers. The community is growing. Uh, yeah, there's always at least two shows a week, but you can catch burlesque at least five times a week, somewhere, anywhere. So I've actually heard burlesque referred to as a satirical striptease. What do you think about that description? I'd say its roots are in that, yes. The satire isn't almost, it's not always there anymore. Um, like when I think of like a lot of like classic burlesque, there isn't that satire that you'd see in like, say, nerd burlesque, where you have like somebody stripping out of a Spider-Man costume. What kind of feedback do you get from women who see your shows? Good and bad. Hmm. I get a lot of good feedback, actually. Um, you know, there's always women who are just, they come up to me after shows and they're like, you know, that empowered me or that made me feel really good or, you know, I got tingles in my spine or that gave me shivers or, you know, that made me proud. I think I get that a lot. But at the same time, a lot of the burlesque that I do has very Afrocentric themes to it. So my burlesque goal is basically to make every act I do blacker than the last. <laughs> wow. How do you so, how do you do such a thing? And I do it with like symbolism with the music I choose. Um, you know, I use a lot of like dance hall music, a lot of like hip hop or like Afro Caribbean music as well. Um in one of my acts I literally walk on stage with a staff that has the continent um a mirror in the shape of Africa on it. Um, but, you know, I play upon music, costume, and symbolism, so. Is there a POC, uh, like, icon in burlesque? Ah, yeah, I mean, there's there's many now, thankfully. Um, I think, like, Pro Noir, absolutely amazing performer, black performer out in New York. Jeez Louise, who not only is an amazing performer, but also very outspoken as well, and she's based in Chicago. Um, in Toronto, like I mentioned earlier, we have Coca Framboise, uh, we also have Dainty Dainty Smith as well. So there's a lot of iconic POC performers. Um, historically speaking, there's Josephine Baker, um, made famous for her banana dance. So she did a burlesque number with like a banana skirt on. And she was, I think, like one of the first famous black burlesque performers. So Does burlesque help you push the boundaries? It's, it's almost like this use of sex or this fine line around entertainment and you get to use it to express further you know political or you know prejudice or oppression you get to like express how you feel through this performance because it's already edgy it's amazing what doors open when you already have something that has a stigma and it has nothing to do with race, it has nothing to do with prejudice in its own right. I mean, it has everything to do with, you know, um, I guess it still does have to do with, with prejudice in a sense. But the difference is people aren't fighting wars over nudity. People aren't hurting and harming each other socially because of nudity. I mean, yeah. to a degree, I'm obviously I, I, I'm speaking in extremes here. But when it comes to, you know, you're talking about people of color, you're talking about, you know, race and and religion or you know you're just trying to express period no matter what it's about you get this ability to already push one barrier so therefore why not push every other barrier while you're at it what does that make you think going on stage like are you ever worried about uh offending or pushing the envelope too much are people not gonna get it maybe or there people don't think that there's a place for this in burlesque 
Yeah, I mean, I do every now and then I do worry about offending people or making people feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, I do think that there is a place in burlesque and there should always be a place in burlesque for pushing boundaries, for communicating your politics, for, you know, I think I guess when I think of like the satire element of it or the more political element of it is like I feel like people... You know, they come to see sexy. They come to see sex appeal. But if I can give you that sex appeal and slap on some politics, um, hey, hashtag Black Lives Matter or anything, anything political to it. It's like not only did I give you that sexy, but I also gave you something that you didn't come for, but you're going to think about when you go home. You're feeling excited and you're thinking. And you're thinking. I went to Alternities, which is a burlesque festival in Boston. What a name. Right? Alternities. It's for like neo, weird, cool, awesome stuff that happens. And there's this one performer, and I'm just, my mind, oh, I forgot her name, which really bothers me, but she performs in a wheelchair. She um, is a various abilities, so she performs in a wheelchair, and this whole act is basically about deconstructing or fighting these stereotypes that, you know, people in wheelchairs are, like, asexual, or they can't be sexy, or they have no sexual attraction, and she kind of just smashes all those ideals by doing, like, this super hot, raunchy, sexy striptease in her wheelchair. Love it. Right? And I feel like something like that, like, that is boundary pushing. On your website, ZyraLeeVanity.com, <laughs> you describe your acts as sultry, traditional acts. Or something more contemporary and uniquely edgy. So you obviously have various acts. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to ask you about the variety of characters and if you can best describe them to us and their version of burlesque or which each identity represents. Uh, Your first one is Mama Africa slash Flawless Melanin. Are those two characters? Uh, Mama Africa slash Flawless Melanin. Melanin. (laughs) What's melanin? Melanin. It's the pigment that makes your skin dark. Ah. Oh, I see. I'm learning. <laughs> um, so that one is very much it's centered around the ideals of black beauty, black pride, the African diaspora. Um, and that's like p- perhaps one of my most political acts. Um, but it's very much about blackness and black beauty. Amazing. I got the big band bump. The Nola big- Tease. That is all about sex, non-apologetic sexuality, and just laying it all out there. Explain more, please. Um, with that act, it's basically, you know, it's the act I have that I use. It's a very, it's a very classic, basic classic number, but it's all about being unapologetically sexy. Love it. Right. So it's like, I'm not giving you any, say, like... You know, politics when it comes to likability or queerness or race, but I'm giving you unapologetic in your face sexuality. And lastly, my favorite, the Fresh Princess of Bel Air. So, Fresh Prince Bel Air is like one of my all time favorite shows. Same here. So, I had to do a tribute. <laughs> um, of course, I wanted to be super femme because that's just how I am. Um, so, I made the Fresh Princess instead. And it's just a, it's a tribute to. My favorite show. It's my nerdy number. It's my more sat- um, satirical number. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank you so much, Zyra, for coming on to the show. Where can people see you on social media? Where are some regular shows that in Toronto that people can see you perform at? Um, so you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Zyra Lee Vanity. And that's Z-Y-R-A-L-E-E-V-A-N-I-T-Y. So at Zyra Lee Vandy on Instagram and Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. Um, my fan page is just Zyra Lee Vanity. And then for upcoming shows, you can see me at Thigh High, the Kush of Cabaret at the Underground on October 15th. 
Um, I also perform regularly with La Femme Fatale Woman of Color Burlesque Troupe. Uh, wow, you're busy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm producing another show in February as well, which is called Sexual Awakening. So, yeah. I need you to come back. <laughs> I need you to come with some of your burlesque friends and really kind of preach to Toronto what it's really all about. Would you do that for me? Absolutely. Thank you so much to Zyra Lee. That's ZyraLeeVanity.com. Never sleepers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ross Never Sleeps. Sleep tight. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>